Hello, everyone. Welcome to Better Health While Aging, a podcast that gives you strategies and information about improving the health and well-being of older adults. We discuss common health problems that affect people over age 60, the best ways to prevent and manage those problems, and we also often address common concerns and dilemmas that come up with aging parents and other older loved ones, like what to do if you're worried about falls or safety or memory, or even the quality of an older person's health care. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Kernison. I'm a practicing geriatrician, so that means I'm a medical doctor specializing in geriatrics, which is the art and science of modifying healthcare so that it works better for older people and for their families. In today's episode, I'm going to do something a little different, which is include the audio for a presentation that I recently did about the new COVID vaccines and how to know if they are effective in older adults. So if you like, on the show notes page for this episode, I will post the actual video. And the advantage of the video is that I demonstrate how I look at the study charts to see the data specifically for older adults. So I think for this, the video is probably a little bit better, but if you would like to listen, um, this podcast episode will contain just the audio. So thank you everyone and take care, enjoy. Hello everyone, Uh, this is Dr. Leslie Kernison of betterhealthwhileaging.net. And in um, this session, I wanna share an update on COVID vaccination for aging adults. Uh, with a special focus on how to assess efficacy and safety, uh, which really means like, how do you know if it works and if it's safe in older adults? And today's December 17th, 2020. It's important to note that because this is a really quickly evolving situation with the vaccine. So um, as I think hopefully everyone has heard, Um, There's been some really exciting news about the vaccine, and it is so needed because otherwise the news about COVID right now is so dismal and dire. When I looked this morning, um, we have broken more records for the number of daily cases and sadly the number of deaths, 3,600. And it's just a really grim time. And unfortunately, uh, the hospitalizations and deaths will probably continue to go up for the next few weeks because it lags the number of cases. And even though people are being encouraged to not travel and get together for the holidays, some will, and that might create another bump. So that is just really, really sobering. Um, but the uh, kind of um, you know bright spots in all of this is um, that there have been some important developments regarding the vaccine. So this is amazing because this is by far the fastest a vaccine has ever been developed. Um, But of note, Pfizer's vaccine, there are two that uh, have been especially prominent in the news in the United States, Pfizer's vaccine and Moderna's vaccine. So both of them released preliminary data uh, last month saying that they were looking like they were about 95% effective. And um, so just in the last week, uh, Pfizer's vaccine was granted FDA emergency use authorization on December 11th. So this is an, uh, you know, this is emergency use. This means they've used an accelerated process, but they do feel they've carefully reviewed the data to say um, that it can be used given the pandemic uh, emergency. So uh, that was announced just last Friday. It means that they can immediately start distributing. They have uh, apparently 2.9 million doses for the United States. 
that are being distributed throughout the country. So the first people who were not in the trial to be vaccinated, that started on Monday in San Francisco. Our first person vaccinated was Tuesday morning, Dr. Antonio Gomez, who was a resident one year ahead of me and is now head of critical care at San Francisco General. Um, and I have found it really moving to, to see this happen. Um, so the CDC earlier in December, um, you know, convened groups and said that the most important people to vaccinate were frontline health workers and uh, residents of long-term care facilities. Different um, states and localities get to decide. Um, so some of them are uh, vaccinating um, first responders. Um, I found it's very nice actually that in many hospitals, the first person to be vaccinated was actually not a doctor or nurse or somebody who works uh, in the hospital, you know, cleaning the COVID ward or things like that. Um, so uh, that's exciting. Um, but also what was uh, really interesting is that Pfizer's actual trial data, um, so not their report of what it was or the report of what they told the FDA, but they actually published um, uh, their data in the New England Journal of Medicine a week ago. Uh, last Thursday. So that's their phase two and three um, data. So it's not all the data they have, but it's what's now been published um, and peer reviewed by uh, the editors. And so I want to talk about that today because that was my first chance to get a good look at uh, the data. And I want to share with you what I look at when I think about is this safe and effective for older adults. Meanwhile, Moderna's vaccine is being discussed at the FDA today, like right now. <laughs> uh, it's an all-day session. It's being live streamed um, from 9 in the morning to 6 p.m. Uh, to discuss um, their application for emergency use authorization. And the expectation is that it uh, will be approved, um, probably announced tomorrow, but we'll see, in which case they could then start to distribute their, I think they have 6 million uh, doses. Um, so uh, this is uh, um, this is really, really exciting news, especially since, as the press has said, they've reported 95% efficacy. So, but the caveats. Um, the data is fairly uh, preliminary. So again, this it is remarkable and to be celebrated that they developed these vaccines so quickly. I mean, uh, a year ago um, in China, they were just starting to realize that they had a problem in Wuhan with uh, the virus. And I think the genome was sequenced um, probably first in Asia in early January uh, and then here. And so to go from that to a vaccine being distributed in less than a year is, um, is amazing. Uh, and they have studied these vaccines in tens of thousands of people, but you know the data is preliminary in that they only have a few months of follow-up. And also Moderna's data has not yet been published in a um, peer-reviewed journal. It took Pfizer, it took them, I think, about almost a month for it to be published in the New England Journal. So what I ask myself as a geriatrician is it's all well and good for them to say it's 94% effective in older adults. Um, but I want to know, like, what really is the data for older adults? So um, another thing that was uh, was said, this was this was actually the I think the advisory committee on immunization practices. You know, their conclusion was consistent high efficacy was observed across age, sex, race, and ethnicity categories. Um, so to me, th this isn't really data. It's kind of a vague summary conclusion. 
And so I, I do want to know, because one, I know that vaccines often become less effective as people age, and that's because of the aging of the uh, immune system. But the other reason why I want to know is, you know, what is an older adult, right? Um, depending on who you ask, it's anyone, some people will say it's anyone over 50, over 55, 65 is where, you know, uh, Medicare starts and what, you know, we often use. And even within older adults over age 65, there's a wide age range and a wide range medically. So, um, so I wanted to share with you what I recommend you ask yourself when you hear this in the news, because um, these are the first two vaccines. Uh, more are in the way. Um, and so I want to share with you what, what I think about and what if you, um, if you want to, you could ask yourself when you hear exciting news about trial results for vaccines or for anything else that's an exciting, you know, development uh, health-wise. Um, so one is, you know, when they studied the vaccine or the medication, the procedure, who were the participants? Who was included and who was excluded? And here I'm talking about randomized trials, the kind of gold standard for studying. Next, you want to ask, how similar are they to me or to the person you care about, right? So if you're thinking about what does this um, vaccine study data mean for me, uh, you want to think about like, well, who was in the trial and how are they similar to me? And if you're thinking about it for your aging um, parent, uh, you want to think how similar are they to my older mom or my older dad? And if they say older adults are involved, I always want to know how many older adults are we talking, both in absolute numbers and what percentage of your study group was older adults. And, you know, what do you mean when you say older? Like, exactly how old were they? Usually the study will often separate them into um, kind of age groups. Uh, so what were the age groups and how many people were in each um, age group? And then do we know how healthy or frail the participants were? So. Um, several years ago, there was this, you know, lots of press about the SPRINT's blood pressure study. It changed all the guidelines for high blood pressure treatment, or most of them, in the United States. Uh, they did have a subset of it, which was called SPRINT Senior, for people who are over age 75. But for instance, SPRINT excluded people um, who had dementia and excluded people who had a bunch of <laughs> chronic conditions that are fairly common in older adults. So, you know, these are the things that I think about as a geriatrician and that you can think about if you want to be a little savvier as well when you hear about these uh, results. So, so what do we know about this Pfizer vaccine data that was just published um, last year? So I'm going to show you very quickly uh, online as well. But uh, usually in a randomized trial, there's something that's called table one, which is a table where they summarize the key um, statistics about who was in the study. So they had about 43,000 participants the median age of the participants was 52 years old. So that means half of the participants were older than 52 and half of them were younger than 52. But, you know, what does that distribution look like, right? It's probably not for every year. Uh, they also said the age range was 16 to 91. <laughs> so you probably don't have an equal number of people in every year category between 52 and 61. You probably have a lot of people in their 50s and 60s, and it's probably like tapering down as you get older because that's what tends to happen in these studies unless they make a really specific push to recruit uh, people who um, are older. And I don't just mean older than 55 or 65, but you know, in their 70s, in their 80s, and uh, you know, maybe even older than that. 
So 42% of participants were older than 55 uh, years. And um, so let me just give you a, uh, let me see very quickly. I will find it and share the screen so that you can see where, uh, where I look for these things. Okay, so this is the New England Journal, December 10th. Um, I think if you Google New England Journal Pfizer vaccine, you'll find this. This is like the official name of it. It's a complete mouthful, and I'm not going to attempt um, to say it. But uh, let's see. So here is the table one that I was referring to, OK? Um, so uh, right here, we can, well, let's see if we can find the, here's the age group part. Right? So, so right here, you can see that they've already right here, it's divided into 16 to 55 and over 55. So for me, I'm like, over 55 is, <laughs> you know, uh, they still got, you know, a significant number of people there, about 42% of their participants. But, you know, there's a lot of variability in the medical status of people over age 55. Uh, and then, they have a range here, but they don't tell you, they don't even, even here, they don't even tell you like the standard distribution, right? Which is often like a measure of how far out the tails go um, or not. So that, uh, that was table one. And so that's often where I, uh, I start off looking. Okay. So, and then the next thing that I looked at is how well did it work? Um, I'm going to talk about safety as well, um, but usually unless, you know, already in the medical news I've heard that there have been serious safety issues, um, we'll talk more about safety, but usually I'm more interested in how well does it work, uh, and then I look at uh, adverse events and um, safety. So uh, in this uh, one, this, this, the efficacy is in table three, and maybe I'll show you very quickly and then, uh, well... Yeah, I'll show you very quickly, and then we'll come back to, to this. But they basically reported it for four age uh, ranges, 16 to 55, which was almost 20,000 people, over 55, 15,000 people, over 65, 7,728 people. So uh, to me, this seems like this over 55 is everybody over um, 55, so it's including these two groups, and then they had over 75, and they just had about 1,500 people. So, okay. Um, so if you want to go and take a look at that, and often the information is just easier to digest in the tables and figures. That's why the journal editors insist that you make them um, than here, which tends to be super technical. So here it is, um, right here. So I found this super interesting. And what you see is when you look at the group overall, it's 95% efficacy. Now, this right here, in parentheses, is the range. And uh, in this case, they called it a credible interval instead of a confidence interval. Um, but um, without going deeply into the statistics, this, this is kind of like uh, what's in the parentheses is what 
is considered the statistical, uh, the actual uh, efficacy is statistically likely, like we'll say approximately 95% statistically likely to fall within these two numbers. Um, and that's because you always want to make a, a statistical correction. Um, so it's important to look at these because if they're really, really big, it means there's a lot of uncertainty around this number. So we can see this one's 95, but the credible interval is 90 to 98. So that, that's pretty good. But what happens when you start looking at it with other age groups, right? So uh, for 16 to 55, we have 90 to you know 98.6. 89.4 to 98.6, but when we're in over 55, we have 93.7 with the range being 80.6 to 98.8. When we look at over 75, sorry, over 65, we have uh, 94.7. Now, if you look just at the numbers, you'll say, oh my gosh, it's more effective in people who are over 65 than 55. Well, the range here is 66.7 to 99.9. It's bigger. So really, these are, you know, there's no real difference between these two numbers. However, there's a bigger range here, which means that there's less certainty about what this efficacy number really is. And the reason for that is because they had fewer people. So what gives you statistical certainty or improves it is having more people in more participants studied, and you need to have enough events. You need to have enough, in this case, the, you know, the event was getting um, uh, coronavirus um, after the second dose, uh, being diagnosed with it. So even if you study a lot of people, if the number of people who actually had the event, uh, in this case, um, you know, being diagnosed with coronavirus is small in the two groups, then you don't, um, you don't have the statistical information to be sure it's a real difference. And... Um, so here among the people over age 65 who got vaccinated, only one got COVID uh, and 19 in the placebo group. And um, so that's how they end up with that. And then this is the part that really interested me was for people over 75, nobody in the vaccine group uh, got COVID, but only five people <laughs> in the unvaccinated group got COVID. And when I saw this, I thought, those are really small numbers. You know, how can they have like a statistically significant result? And the answer is they don't. They have actually an extremely interesting result, which is minus 13%. The range is minus 13% effectiveness to 100. So technically, um, minus effectiveness means that you're more likely to get it. I don't think that's actually true. It's just like a big range because there are so few numbers um, for, uh, for it to work with. Um, so uh, so that is what I saw when I looked at that. Um, so again, you know, as, as we get older, um, the range gets bigger. Uh, so uh, here it's um, still the lower end of the range is still like pretty good, you know, 66% effective. But once you get to people over 75, you like, this basically says, you know, we don't know. We didn't have enough uh, people and cases to determine whether there was an effect. So, um, so yeah. So again, uh, what I noticed looking over this data is, you know, half of older, half of what they said were older adults were age 55 to 65. Um, not that this age 
group is not important, but in terms of medical vulnerability, first of all, in terms of how vulnerable you are to complications of COVID and in terms of historically um, people's response to vaccines, um, you know, it changes a lot at the upper uh, side of the older age uh, distribution group than the lower one. There's probably more difference, you know, medically in terms of responsiveness to vaccines and vulnerability to COVID complications. There's probably um, more difference between people who are uh, 70 and 85 than there is between people who are 55 and 70. Um, so, um, but in this group, uh, you know, the vaccine um, seems to be, you know, 80 to 99% effective and that, that efficacy range is going down um, as the age goes up, but that doesn't necessarily mean it works less well. You know, it's probably that they didn't have enough people and they didn't have enough events. And that is probably because the people who are older were being very careful to avoid COVID uh, very sensibly and understandably. So the take home for me is we still really don't have the information we need to know how well it's going to work in people who are age 85 plus or in nursing homes. So people in nursing homes tend to either be uh, older in that uh, age range of you know over 85 or they are there because they are physiologically frail um, they've developed uh, quite advanced dementia or they've had a lot of chronic health conditions that have uh, diminished their uh, their abilities and what was interesting to me is that there was one cdc advisory member when the cdc was prioritizing uh, having their meetings to decide who to prioritize the vaccine for there was one member of the advisory board who actually dissented from the recommendation to uh, vaccinate nursing home residents first. Um, and I will post a, a link to this in the related notes. She's an expert in vaccinations for older adults. And she felt like, well, we don't have the data on the group. And she was also concerned that this frail older population would get vaccinated and then they will have things happen to them. Um, in part because, you know, when you're frail and, uh, very older in this very vulnerable group, like stuff happens, you know, that they would get vaccinated, something would happen to them. And especially if you're not in the context of a trial, people would attribute it to the vaccine, even though it might not be the vaccine. And her concern was not safety. It was really more efficacy. Um, and she also uh, pointed out that people might, you know, end up with a false sense of security about being protected um, by the, the vaccine. And, uh, you know, so I, I thought actually her, her points were, were very uh, compelling. So, uh, you know, overall, um, what about the, uh, the safety question since, you know, that's coming up. Uh, overall, it seemed pretty safe in all ages. There were a few participants in either groups. Again, the Pfizer group was about, you know, 43,000 people. Uh, very few people had severe adverse um, uh, events. I don't know why that, um, is type twice, sorry about that, uh, or adverse events leading to withdrawal from the trial. Quite a lot of people had arm soreness uh, and quite a lot of people had fatigue and headache and about 10% or sometimes more had fever, especially after the second dose and more in younger people. Now this isn't surprising because these kinds of symptoms, fatigue, headache, fever, fever are often symptoms of your immune system revving up. So both the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine are two injections three or four weeks apart, depending 
on which one uh, it is. Um, the technology is new and, and actually kind of interesting. Instead of injecting people with uh, a piece of virus or a whole dead virus or a weakened virus, which is often what we do, uh, there, uh, it's actually a messenger RNA. So that's um, something that we all have in our cells whose job it is to uh, prompt a cell to create a protein. So it's instructions for creating a protein and you inject it into people and it goes into muscle cells and prompts them to create only the outer spike protein of the coronavirus, not the whole virus. So you can't get coronavirus from the vaccine. Um, and so once your body has created the spike protein, your immune system recognizes it, gets you know energized, um, learns to fight it. And, and the idea is that when your immune system has done that before you actually encounter coronavirus, then when you do, it will mount an effective immune response and defeat the virus before either you notice you're ill or get significantly ill. Um, so it's not surprising that we would see more um, symptoms of an immune reaction in people who are younger because they have more vigorous immune systems. And it's not surprising that we'd see it after the second dose uh, because um, the first dose is kind of priming the body and the second one is kind of finishing uh, the teaching job. They actually found that um, there was some efficacy after the first dose. They have a smaller group of people who fell ill from coronavirus in that uh, window. And you know maybe it's like 50 to 60% effective after a, a single dose. Um, so, so overall, it seemed, you know, reasonably safe. Um, there has been, this is not in the Pfizer trial data, but, you know, I've seen it in the news. There's this question of Bell's palsy. So Bell's palsy is this paralysis of your, so your face, um, uh, your facial muscles are all kind of um, uh, innervated, <laughs> so sort of stimulated and run by a single uh, big nerve that branches out into lots of little pieces uh, over here. And, um, and uh, Bell's palsy is when, you know, it gets affected and weakens. And so people get like a droop and, you know, their face, half of their face doesn't work as well. Um, it is associated with viral illnesses. It sometimes happens after vaccinations, but actually usually it gets better on its own within um, weeks. And uh, so, you know, I saw that there were already questions about it. And um, so there have been, I think like four or five cases and the FDA said that they're going to monitor it more. But so far, the number of cases they saw was actually what they would expect for the thousands of people who are just being studied. It didn't seem like it was more um, than you would see. So right now it seems like that's not really a reason to not get vaccinated because your risk of catching COVID and being harmed from it, you know, for most of us is much higher. Uh, and then there have also been a few severe allergic reactions. It was in the news. One of the hospital people who got vaccinated uh, yesterday in Alaska had a very significant anaphylactic uh, reaction. So, um, so they are recommending caution if you have a history of allergic reactions, especially if it's the type that causes anaphylaxis where your face and throat swell and you might need an EpiPen or urgent medical uh, intervention. Um, and uh, my own takeaway was, you know, it seems safe enough. So, um, so I would say, uh, yes, if you get vaccinated, it will, you know, can cause discomfort and you might have mild symptoms, especially after the second dose, especially if you are a younger, uh, older person or have a more vigorous immune system, but there's no reason so far to particularly worry about safety. And, um, now I know there are like vaccine haters out there. They sometimes, you know, 
come onto the flu shot page on better health while aging. Um, my own, you know, take is is I'm generally like pretty squarely with mainstream geriatrics and support most, you know, the CDC's public health recommendations. Vaccines have overall a good safety record, um, better than many medications that older adults take. And, you know, I think the question more often with uh, vaccines, especially if you're looking at the nursing home population is, you know, um, do they work? <laughs> you know, how effective are they, uh, are they going to be? Uh, now, a couple of caveats. Um, this is a new, you know, as I was saying, this is a new type of vaccine technology. So uh, it has been studied for a while, but this is the first time that it's been licensed for use in commercial vaccines that are going to be deployed at um, scale. Um, and it's a new vaccine in general. So, you know, we have a couple months data on several tens of thousands of people, which, you know, is good. And at the same time, when we follow millions of people over a year, uh, more might uh, might emerge, you know, and so there are going to be some people who want to wait, um, which they could. But again, I think, you know, the risk of COVID is pretty substantial, especially right now when the rates are very high in most uh, communities. So it's, you know, certainly something to think about. So when I thought about it, you know, what is my biggest COVID vaccine concern? Um, and, you know, my biggest concern is, you know, I was looking at the CDC data. Um, they actually have, I'll post a link to that too. You know, they have a page where they just show in rows, like the number of people who've died of every age range um, for for COVID. And so for February 1st to December 16th, um, they had recorded 2,000, um, excuse me, 276,000 deaths in the United States. And so for age 75 to 84, they had 75,000 deaths. That's 27% of the national total. And for age 85 and up, they had 87,000 and some deaths, which is 32% of the total. So together, for people age 75 and older, that is almost 60% of our deaths. And so for me, the question is, if we have 60% of deaths happening in people who are age 75 plus, why isn't there more like research and development specifically in this uh, age group. And, um, and just as I was sort of finishing uh, researching this uh, today, you know, I looked on the, uh, the New England Journal. I mean, here is a study published today. Um, so uh, let, me, let me see right here. Safety and immunogenicity of the vaccine. So this one's the Moderna vaccine not the Pfizer vaccine, December 17th, uh, 2020, in older adults. And I thought, great, you know, more like, and immunogenicity means, does it stimulate the immune system? So it's, what we really want to know is, are you, do you not get COVID or die less often? But the sort of interim uh, outcome that you can study is how well the immune system appears to be responding to it. So we're going to use my little technique, right? So where's the table one so we can see like who was in this study? Um, right here. And um, so what you have is you have people age 56 to 70 and age over 71. Um, and in this case, what they do is they tell you um, this number right here next to it is the standard deviation. So if you look at like a bell curve of a distribution, um, uh, you have like the median, which is where like half of the you know, data points are over one side and half are on the other side. And then the standard deviation 
is um, basically 95% of people are within two standard deviations. So it kind of tells you like, is it like this, the curve, or is it like this, the curve? Um, and so uh, this number is the standard deviation on either side. And so what you can see is, especially for the older group, the standard deviation is 1.2 years, right? So that means that 95% of the participants were aged 72.8 plus or minus 2 times 1.2, 2.4. So uh, arithmetic is not my strongest suit, but you know, 72.8 plus 2.4 uh 70 you know i mean they're basically like most of them are you know between 75 on the top range and we could see what the bottom range is but i'm mostly interested in the top range so you know and they only had 40 people uh in its uh total you know they don't show the actual like range right here if we dug through the um you know, read through, we might find out what was like the actual range, like the oldest person. But, you know, if you have one person who's like 86, <laughs> that's not enough. So, um, so that's, you know, that's really, uh, really my concern. Um, and so the vaccine news is great. Uh, and I really feel like it's important to keep advocating that they do more research in these older age groups and in people who are in nursing homes, because we know that the ones in nursing homes have been especially vulnerable to, uh, first of all, it spreads really quickly in nursing homes, and then they're the ones with the highest mortality rates, mortality rates of about 20%. Now, again, as I like to say, 80% of them survive, but still, you know, in modern times, 20% mortality is, uh, is, really, is really terrible. Um, and um, so, you know, my take home is that COVID vaccines uh, um, in older adults, uh, I think they're definitely likely to be effective in younger old uh, people. So, um, and, you know, how are we going to define younger old? You know, certainly people like under age 70, 75, um, you know, I would be, I would be optimistic um, uh, about that group. And then, you know, my guess is that they are going to be effective in people who are age 85 plus. The question is just like how effective, right? Are, you know, um, uh, now the flu vaccine, when it's well matched, is, you know, and in everybody, so including all the younger people, 40 to 60% effective. When they started the development of vaccines and setting a target for effectiveness, you know, they really wanted the vaccine to be at least 50% effective. Again, when they said that, they were talking about the population at large. I don't think anyone ever said, we want a vaccine that's at least 50% effective in people who are over age 85. But I wish they had. I think they should say that and really push, you know, the vaccine makers to do that research and to report that research. I mean, Pfizer has more information in there that they're not, you know, they don't put everything that they have in, uh, in the information. Um, because, uh, so in some states, uh, they are vaccinating uh, nursing home workers and also nursing home residents. And on one hand, I think it's great because it's a way of signaling that this population matters to us because often, you know, I worry that we treat people who are old and frail in nursing homes like they matter less. Um, so on one hand, that is wonderful. And what if, you know, those older residents then have a kind of false sense of security? Um, uh, what if, you know, some of the workers are like, well, I don't need to take the vaccine because they all got vaccinated, right? I mean, I am sure that the biggest factor in the safety of nursing home residents, you know, is going to be the vaccination status of 
the younger people who are interacting with them. So the workers and their family members who, who come in. Um, so, um, so yeah, you know, I mean, the CDC has recommended it. So, uh, I don't think there's a safety. I wouldn't be worried about the safety concern about vaccinating somebody who is 85 or in a nursing home. Um, but I worry about them getting that message. Oh, I heard the vaccine is 95% effective and now I'm 95% protected. And I would just say, no, that's, that's, it's, it's. I mean, it's extremely unlikely that it's going to be as efficacious in people that age. I mean, I think the likelihood is like basically nil because we know that as people become older and frailer, their immune systems work less well. And that's the whole like way that vaccines work. Um, now, I don't think it's going to be ineffective. Um, but if people think, oh, it's 95% effective, you know, that could be a false sense of security for them and people around them. And I worry a little bit um, about that. Also, right now, we have a limited supply of uh, a vaccine um, uh, to go around. And then lastly, I think what that CDC advisory member said that, you know, what if people in nursing homes then have adverse events and it's incorrectly attributed to the vaccine? That would be really a shame, right? Because we are right now in this big push to convince people, because there are a lot of people out there who don't want to take the vaccine. You know, there is this big public health push to encourage people to be vaccinated. Um, so uh, we need trials in this age group. And um, and for that, we need advocacy, right? We need to be reminding them. I, you know, I feel like I hope this occurs. You know, Congress and the Senate, many of them are older, to be, you know, asking the vaccine members and, you know, reminding the CDC and the FDA to say, where are your studies on older adults? So, but for now, based on the information we have right now, and of course it changes very, very quickly, I do recommend COVID vaccination for older adults when it becomes available to you or your loved one. When that will be is another kind of uh, open question, extremely variable. You have to kind of see what's happening in your local community. It's very local. Um, and, uh, and I, I would say, you know, vaccinating workers and families, again, in the long-term care area feels more important uh, to me, but you have to take what you can get. Um, I didn't like post slides for the other questions I've had. I had somebody tell me the current vaccine isn't very good. The next ones will be better. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, yes, we might eventually end up with better ones, but the current ones seem pretty good and we're unlikely to have a lot of choice anytime, uh, anytime soon. Um, so uh, to finish, um, I want to emphasize that although this vaccine news is extremely exciting and in encouraging, um, it, it really is. And I'm so, so happy, especially for the frontline health workers who have been doing um, an amazing job, you know, there. Um, I'm so glad that they can be vaccinated and hopefully worry less about catching COVID in the course of, uh, of their work. Um, so even though it's exciting news, you know, we still uh, are in the midst of a bad surge and we need to remain vigilant about protecting ourselves and our loved ones from COVID. So uh, I, of course, you know, endorse wearing masks whenever you are, you know, out of your household or if for some reason people come into your household, maintaining physical distancing. It is so sad right now, but uh, avoiding holiday gatherings is much, much better and avoiding mixing with other households is better. It's safer for you personally. And even if you think the risk to you personally is just like, oh, it's just like one little meeting. It's true, you might not you know, catch COVID, but collectively, because so many people are doing that, it's 
allowing this high transmission that we have, which just puts us all at risk and makes it, you know, um, right now they've shut down a lot of, you know, uh, the businesses again in San Francisco. Um, and then uh, for now, my recommendation is to get vaccinated whenever it becomes available um, to you. Um, but also keep taking a look at the data. And so when you hear that press release that the latest vaccine is X percent effective, you know, ask yourself, well, what about in older adults and who are the older adults who are in there? And do we have any, you know, information that is specific to people in my age group or in the age group of my parents? And then I'm going to say it one more time, you know, to the extent you can, you know, support vaccine trials in long term care residents and or much older adults. I certainly hope they're going to do trials with all those uh, nursing home residents who are starting to get the uh, the vaccine, although it doesn't doesn't look like they're randomizing people within a nursing home, but maybe they'll have they'll have to they'll have to do what they call sort of natural experiments, which are not as good for data, but better than nothing. And so, with that, um, stay safe during the holiday uh, season. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Better Health While Aging. If you have any questions about something you heard in this episode, you can post it on the show notes page for the episode. I'll also be posting some links to some of the resources that I mentioned in the episode. To find the show notes, visit betterhealthwhileaging.net and click podcast in the main menu at the top. Last but not least, if you've been enjoying the podcast, don't forget to support us by subscribing on iTunes. And if you've already done that, please leave a rating and review. This makes it easier for others to discover our show in iTunes. And I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, and I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes.